Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would join me in Ephesians chapter 3 today, and we're going to begin in verse 1 and make it as far as we can. Paul, Paul tells us in this third chapter that there's two reasons why he writes this particular chapter and probably the whole book. The first one is found in verse 1, and that is to uh, impress upon them or to, to maybe help them understand his uh, imprisonment. They have a, a pretty normal uh, view of this imprisonment. As, as you might imagine, if you found out that your founding pastor was in prison because of his faith, uh, they take that very personally, and uh, he is wanting them to understand that bad things can happen to good people. And uh, I know that that must be their question. You know, we love Paul. We know Paul. God is good. God protects us. God calls us to minister in certain places. God puts the voice of, of his spirit in us, and he gives us his word. And how in the world does a guy's faithfulness allow him to wind up in prison? Is this what we can expect? You know, if this can happen to Paul, you know, Maybe it could happen to any one of us. And number two, all the way down to verse 13, uh, they are obviously misunderstanding the, uh, the glory by which they've inherited. And so he is trying to clear up for them what their inheritance of glory actually is. And we've already talked about a lot of that. Paul has emphasized that the mysteries revealed and the giftings of God that God is uniting all things within himself, that that is the purpose of God, is to bring his completion into all things, into his body. And God is bringing sinful people into Christ as they repent and as they trust. He is bringing those people into one body, the church. God is bringing Jews and God is bringing Gentiles into one covenant. And that the church is both a new thing that has, the world has never seen before, but it is also a continuation of the Old Testament plan. It's new in the fact that we are just realizing it, but in verse 11, it clearly says that this was always a part of God's eternal plan. God, sometimes people misunderstand that, that God uh, may be stubbornly or volatilely gets angry at Israel because of their rejection of Jesus. And so he quickly dismisses them and just finds the Gentiles and pours his affection into them. Not so. God does not get mad and reject Israel. He's always planning this plan. And Israel, the Jews, can be a part of this salvation plan just like the Gentiles can now. It was always the plan. So in verse 1, for this reason... Have you ever talked to someone, and, uh, or maybe you are this someone who gets ready to tell a story and you get so caught up in the details to get to the point that you forgot the point that you were trying to say? Have you ever talked to somebody and heard them say, what, what, what was I talking about? Anybody? Have you ever said to someone, what was I talking about? Yeah. Me too. So this is what Paul kind of does. Is He starts in verse 1, for this reason, and then he begins again in verse 14. 
Uh, and so he, now, now we got to remember though that every word, we believe that every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So though Paul may have gotten a little bit caught up into very important details, we know that they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so these are not just another run-on sentence as Ephesians is a lot. These are, these are very important truths that I want to try to break down for us today to some degree. So for this reason, and so for means we're going forward, and this means something that we've just talked about. So this actually ties two things together. It's, it's Paul's, it's kind of where I get the, I said that to say this. So I said chapter two to say chapter three. Verse two. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship, some of your translations will say dispensation of God's grace that was given to me for you. I was given God's grace so that, so important, so that I can give it to you. This dispensation does not mean a period of time. A better translation is the word stewardship, something that you are given for someone Else. And what Paul is saying is that this, that God dispensed grace to Paul so that Paul could dispense that grace to the Gentiles because no one else was giving them the grace, the knowledge of God's grace. He says that, that you have heard of the stewardship. So, you know, news travels, especially when you're the Apostle Paul. Paul also had written a number of letters, circular letters, that also include this stewardship of God's grace to the Gentiles. Uh, there had pe been people to visit Paul and bringing information to him and from him. Uh, there were rumors that spread rather quickly as roads were being established and papers were being written and all of those sorts of things. So he knows that they have heard that potentially the Gentiles, all Gentiles, are equal to the Jews. But they really can't understand that because this is a 4,000-year-old con common concept that the Jews have a special thing going with God. So Paul identifies himself as a special conduit of God's grace. Much like God has called us into that dispensation, that stewardship of his grace for the nations as well when Jesus left and he said, now, everything that you've heard from me, give that away to the nations, Jerusalem first, but also to the uttermost parts of the world. So he gives us that exact same calling. We are blessed, and we say amen to that. I love being blessed. But you are not blessed as the chief end of that blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God told Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be what? So because of Abraham's blessing, that blessing becomes a, of, of, in Abraham, becomes a, Abraham becomes a conduit by which every nation, every family in the world can receive this dispensation of God's grace. God wants us to be in the flow of his grace. I know we have often heard, you know, people just, just goes with the flow, kind of relaxed and kind of chilling out. And God wants us to be, to go with the flow. But what that means is, is as the blessings of God flow out of heaven, he wants us to continue.
be in a place where you can deal with it. And I know nobody wants to be in a place where they can deal with it, but God's grace is sufficient. So sometimes God allows us to experience certain things so that he can demonstrate his goodness through our mess. Sometimes we like to hide those things in a corner somewhere and don't want anybody to ever know about it. But the truth of the matter is, as we reveal God's goodness in our messes, that's where he's clearly evident. And the world around us, who's got so many bridges or so many uh, fences up, their trust walls so high, they can start trusting people who are honest. And we get so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Over and over, we see that. I don't have time to go through all of that, but we see that these blessings that we have been given are to be given away freely. Jesus even said, freely you have received, so freely give. So Paul is choosing to be faithful to this dispensation, to this stewardship, even though he's in prison. If anybody in the world at this moment that would have an excuse to not think about and relish in God's grace, it would probably be the guy chained in guards in prison. But it was his imprisonment he recognized that allowed him to prove his faithfulness, and that proves the grace is from God. You know, anybody can write the book of Ephesians when you're sitting on the mountaintop, but its power is greatly diminished. Anytime you walk up to somebody and they're hurting or they're grieving and you say, I know how you feel. No, you do not know how they feel. You know how you would feel. You know how you felt. You don't know how they feel. It's important for us to recognize that the guy who's sitting in prison, who don't know if he's going to live till tomorrow, when he says, let me tell you about your inheritance and the riches of God's glory, that's when you say, hmm, there may be something to this. This guy understands. All right, so... Look back at verse 1. Paul said he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. For you Gentiles. So he is a prisoner literally, meaning that he is in prison. He's chained to guards. And this is to prove grace and the inheritance of his glory. Uh, that it doesn't belong to this world. That, that everything that we're longing for is here in part. But this isn't, a better life today isn't the goal. A better life for eternity is the goal. And everything here is practice for that. And it's one of the things that Paul wants them to understand. Paul, Paul is able to say the promises are for a different kingdom. But secondly, Paul is also a prisoner figuratively. He's a prisoner of God's calling on his life. He's God's servant. He's God's slave. That's what the word means. He, he, he is a, a servant to the Gentiles at their service. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in, in just a moment. But verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, uh, written uh, before. And probably he's talking about chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, or maybe even chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, where he also talks about the mystery of the revelation. He's written briefly, but... Not to much detail. Verse 5. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 4 so we just don't skip any. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mysteries of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. 
So this which here is the, uh, the antecedent to that is the mystery. The mystery which hasn't been revealed yet. Just stick with me for a moment. We're tied all up in a few moments. We have to go through it this way in order for it to make sense later. But it is this mystery is the ultimate point of this passage. They don't know what the mystery is fully yet. But Paul still teaches us a little bit something about it. It's never been revealed yet. It's, it's a new mystery. But it's been revealed unto the holy prophets, the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit indwelling the believer is a relatively new thing for the early church. He was active and he was working from eternity past, but the Spirit did not indwell the believer until Pentecost. There was little illumination, little spiritual gifting until Pentecost. So after the Spirit began to indwell the believers, he revealed to them this new truth. Verse 6. And he finally gets to the, for this reason. This mystery is that the Gentiles, listen to this, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise, not promises, the promise in Christ Jesus through, not a gospel, the gospel. Notice how specific this is. He's talking about full-on equality, full equality. It's a mystery to Jews from time past because they always thought they were something special. And here Paul lets them realize they are not. They're beneficiaries of God's blessing. But two, it's a mystery until the Gentiles till now too because they have been told they're second-class citizens. But they weren't full partakers of Christ. So all people, this is the revelation to this new church, all people who place their faith in Jesus Christ are, according to Paul, joint heirs, joint members, and joint sharers in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Now, this may not mean much to us because there's not really a Jew-Gentile discrepancy 2,000 years later. But the thing that I want us to understand is there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There's nobody on the shelf. There's nobody at the end of the line. We are all equal. Over and over, the word says, God does not play favorites. So for those of us who think we're something special, be reminded. For those who think I'm just, you just want a cabin over in the corner of heaven, you need to be reminded. Listen to, go back to, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He practically says the same thing here. Joint heirs, joint members, joint sharers. In the Old Testament, the Jews were to allow... Gentiles into themselves if the Gentiles would convert to Judaism. There are a lot of laws pertaining to aliens and strangers and how to treat them. And the Jews were called to reach the nations as they went. The Gentiles could certainly be redeemed. In fact, God called them to, and we see evidences of that throughout the 
the Old Testament. But they were not brought into and called the people of God unless they converted to Judaism. They could be saved, but not a part of his body, not equal, but now one body. This is incredible news for the church. I think it lit a fire in them, and the very fact that we don't understand that fire proves why we are so callous. It should be incredible news for us. In fact, we should be exploding with excitement that we are equals in and with the full body of Christ. Bringing everyone, everyone qualifies into this grace. The grace that we share with equality when we're together as the church. We have resurrection power. We have identity not with Jews. We have our identity with Jesus. This is why the early church had such a hard time with this, especially in Jerusalem. It's like, we, these Gentiles that are coming to know Christ, they've got to become Jews before they qualify to become Christians. Paul said, are you out of your mind? Well, maybe he didn't say that, but that's how I heard it when he said it. Equal body. Listen, equal. So we say the body of Christ. We typically think of a group of people. I want you to think of Jesus himself, equal partakers with the body of Jesus himself. It's incredible news. So when we have people, Lord, spiritual authority over anyone else, they're wrong. When we have a Christian who think they're superior because of their time served, wrong. In, in fact, it's not just wrong, it needs to be repented of. When we show favoritism to people because we know them better in the body or we trust them a little bit more, we ought to work diligently to get to know people so that they can feel immediately equal. The church should be the most welcoming place on earth. People shouldn't have to prove themselves here. We should encourage and we should love and we should forgive. As long as they have the testimony of Jesus Christ and repentance, this is what ultimately the early church agreed on. You know what? Keep themselves sexually pure. Don't drink blood. Why would we create any other obstacles? So we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are not, listen, I want to speak to this because I hear, I hear this idea of the church not being as important as it ought to be. I, you know, the, I, I hear things and not speaking to, of anyone in particular, but you know, the, the, the church isn't a place. The church is a people. It's true, but the church should always have a place because it's important that we meet corporately to remind each other our family reunion is incredibly important. In fact, it is commanded for us to meet together and worship together and celebrate together and to know each other's names and to weep together and to, to rejoice together and to share in each other's stories and to lift up each other's arms. And if we all try to be the church all on our own, we will fail. I promise you we will fail. God gave us a great gift that is each other. And if we're trying to be our own individual church out in our own individual world, that's not God's plan. There's no mechanism for that. It will fail. 
Or if we try to huddle ourselves up around people who just only agree with us. We're, we're just alike. You know, we common story, common shared experiences, common likes, dislikes. That ain't going to work. That does not reveal equality. Jesus said, does not even unsaved people love people like them? So as the hands and the feet, the body of Jesus, we're not each the full body. We're partakers of the whole body. In fact, pardon this, it's terrible. But we're like transformers. When we all come together to form something else, there's not nearly as much power unless we're all formed together playing our part. It should be one of the ministries of the church to equip the church to encourage each other's faithfulness to love. That's why unity is everything to Jesus. And in his last prayer on earth, this is why he prayed for unity, that they may be one, because that's where the full demonstration of the body of Christ can truly be seen. The unification of people was so important, and that is why our unity must be so important to us as, as well. And I'm, and I'm speaking, you know, to the church of Jesus now. We need to know each other. I mean, we need to really know each other. We need to be able to relate to one another. And I don't, I don't mean to meddle and I don't mean to pry, but we should be eating lunch together. We should be inviting each other into our homes together. Listen, I'm ready for all of the fear for the last 18 months, it needs to go away. We need to open our lives back up to each other. And I'm just going to say it. And, and I know that there are some restrictions and there is some concern that we should have. But I think a whole lot of people are using that as excuse now to hibernate back into their, I don't really want to be bothered with people. It's time for that to go. And it's time for us to call it out for what it is. We need each other. We're desperate for each other. Sometimes we don't know it. And as a gift, God has given us to each other. We, we need to learn to depend upon each other, to forgive each other. You see, Jesus, this is just the way Jesus said that that's the, that's the way that the world will be able to know that the Father sent the Son. In John 13, 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But if we can't demonstrate love... Listen, we can love each other in here, but the world can't see it. And what does love look like? But that we are obedient to the commandments of Jesus. So Paul goes on to say that the source of this unity isn't just friendships. The source of the unity is the gospel itself. That's what brings us into one body, the gospel of Jesus Christ, one with God and one with each other. I want you to think about this. When we are one with God, once that relationship is formed, this relationship can form because now I have all the motivation and all of the mechanics. I, now, I can love you the way I'm loved. I forgive you the way I'm forgiven. I show mercy the way I've been given mercy. I can offer grace the way I've been offered grace. It's been demonstrated to me now through Jesus Christ. My relationship with you should be like his relationship to me. And it forms the perfect cross, which, by the way, is the symbol of our faith anyway. 
Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister due to the grace of God. Some of your translations will say I became, but it's not a great translation. The Greek word is genomai. It means I became, but in this case, it's written in a passive form, which means he didn't become, the becoming came upon him. The work was done to him. It's not something he specifically chose. It was chosen for him. He had no option. His calling was from God. He's saying, I, I didn't become, they would have understood this much better than we, but he's not saying I became. He's saying, I didn't become, God become upon me. What Paul is saying is that when he fully experienced the gospel, it radically changed him. The gospel was God's call to produce unity in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul was divinely called to minister this mystery of unity produced by the gospel. The gospel, listen to this, the gospel produces unity. The gospel produces unity and unity reveals the gospel. What is unity? That's a good question. What does it look like when we know we're, when we're united? What, how will we know? It looks like Christ-likeness. It looks like having the mind of Christ and doing the work of Christ. Not enjoying the same ball teams, not fishing in the same spots, not vacationing in the same locations. Unity looks like producing Christ-likeness and forming the body of Christ. That's what Jesus is praying for. Not to join together with a group of Christians that I get along with. Although, since you can go to any church, you might as well go to one where you get along with people. And by the way, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> that wasn't my invitation for you not to be. So, when he says that he was made a minister, it's the word uh, diakonos, where we get our English word deacon. We often use that word deacon as a noun. Here it's not a noun. It is a verb. It's an action. He chose to be a servant. That's what he's saying. It means a servant but not under bonds. That's what diakonos means. I'm a servant but I don't, I don't have chains attached to me. Nobody's whipping me. I choose to be a servant. Paul is saying I'm choosing to serve you. God has put this weight upon me, this burden, this call upon me, but I'm willingly saying yes to it. Because I want you to understand how special you are to the body of Christ. This is not, again, referring to the office of a deacon, but to the role of one, the action of serving. You know, when it comes to a deacon in a church, well, you better verb before you noun. I want you to think about that for a second. You got to serve before you call a servant. You better deacon before you're a deacon. It's a work that one chooses once God has moved the gospel upon them. It's a divine calling. Serving others reveals Christ and brings unity. Serving is not left to a few. It is the gospel's call upon everyone who says yes. We're all called to minister to each other. 
to use our gifts and our fruit and to share them with one another, to minister to them one another. God gives us this great mechanism of the church to practice this in. And if we want to practice out on the world, we've got no mechanism to do that. The church is where we join together for that common understanding and practice. You see, the, I think the Gentiles here became very passive participants because the Jews were going to show them how to be God's chosen people. And so the Gentiles had gotten pretty accustomed to just sitting back and letting the Jews serve. I think sometimes the church is like that today. So here's what Paul would say. You Jews, you need to serve with humility. And you Gentiles, you need to get up and start to work. Because we're equal partners in this dispensation of grace. Verse 8. I'm going to go, I'm going to start moving fast, okay? To me, though I'm a very least of all the saints, I don't think that's tongue in cheek. I think he means it, at least from his mind. I'm very least, I'm the most unlikely candidate, and yet it was to me given the, the dispensation of grace to preach to the Gentiles. There is nobody more unqualified than me to do what God called me to do. And in case you forgot, I think this is what Paul is saying. And I, I could be wrong about this, but, but in, in my understanding of maybe his character is I would want to forget my worst days if I were Paul. And I'm standing in front of churches every week. I probably wouldn't bring attention to the murder and the executions that I've been a part of. I'd probably hope within a generation or so, you might forget who I used to be. Paul's the one that keeps bringing it up. Why? Because I don't want you to forget. I'm the perfect illustration of the least likely candidate and what God can do in them. Now, I'm not going to live in the shame and guilt of it. But unless you forget... Oh, yeah, well, you're the hero, the apostle Paul. No, 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 no. I'm Paul, the church executioner. Don't forget who I used to be. Because if you forget who I used to be, you'll forget his grace is sufficient for even guys like, like me. It's a great example of Christ in us, the hope of glory. So whatever your excuse is for not getting in the game and not obeying the calling of the gospel, and there are tons, Paul says, you better remember my resume before you start giving me excuses as to why you can't. Paul goes on to say what it is that we are to preach. What, what is, how do we promote unity? He says we preach the good news. It's what it means, the good, the herald of the good news, to declare it, to proclaim it. What is the good news? He says the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable doesn't mean you can't know it. It means you can't understand it. Is so much, you can't fathom it. It's beyond your ability to know, beyond your understanding. The gospel is that Jesus is deeper, higher, wider, longer than you need. His riches means that his external possessions are limitless. There's not one thing that does not belong to him, including you. whether you know it or not, whether you walk in it or not. And he is for you. That's the gospel. He's for you. You're not a second-class citizen. You're not a barely in. 
Your graduation, nobody graduates with honors. We're all saints, fellow heirs. I think what he's saying is you need to come close. You need to serve big. You need to sacrifice all. Don't walk into the throne room with your hands up in fear. Whatever you give does not compare to what he's able to give. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, bring light for everyone, for. It is our obligation to bring to light for. It is something that we can do for. I think what Paul is saying here is this is an obligation to do this to those who are outside the body of Christ. In fact, it's what he says to Romans chapter 1, verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for I know it's the power of God into salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which... I am under obligation to tell them because it's the grace that God has given to me to share this good news with them. All men, everyone, who's the gospel for? There is not a person alive that the gospel is not for. And that's what we need to realize is that who should I share the gospel with? Everybody. Who qualifies for it? Everybody. How dare you judge who qualifies and who doesn't, who you'll share with and who you won't by how close you think they are. I think we miss our role. We work so hard trying to build something for ourselves and asking God to help us build personal things that we forget that he's asked us to build his personal thing. God, bless this. When God is saying, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, bless this. Do you not realize that I called you up so that you could bless this? Paul is stating here that we should be building momentum by adding people and using our story and our story of what God can do. The world should be looking at the church as a place to say, man, how can how can I be a part of some people like that? They're just different than everybody else I know. Not when they're on the mountaintop. When they're battling, they battle different. They speak different. They encourage differently. They, they bring peace everywhere they go. They look and always to share and to, to bless and to build up. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He said, God is searching or he's looking for worshipers. That's what we should be doing. Recruiting worshipers. Every, everywhere we go, we see a room filled with people who should be worshiping the Lord. And our hearts should break until they are. assimilating the world into one body, his. And the more we do that, the more visible he becomes. The more pieces of the body of Christ that come together, the more clearly evident he is. 
The more church, the more united a church is, the more we love and the more we share and the more we care, the more we encourage, the closer we become in our unity and in our relationships, the more evident we are of what Jesus Christ is trying to reveal to the world around us. So that the church, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This, this is a little bit tricky. I won't have time to get into it a whole lot. But he is given the church the opportunity to reveal to the angels and demons what his plan was all along. To replicate himself through us. The more the church expands, the more it multiplies, the more of his love that we see, the more of him we see, the more of his wisdom we see, the more we're able to possess, the more we're able to give away. You see, the goal isn't bringing people into a building. It's bringing people into a people. There's nothing powerful necessarily about coming into this room but there should be something special about coming into this people. And your gifts and your calling, they belong to you. But do not reduce the church down to your own personal ministry or experience, it's to be shared. Is to be shared through one another, connected to one another. In fact, it must be. It must be brought into a storehouse. It must be kept on track, added to, tested, clarified, held accountable, blended into. God gave us the body of Christ to do this for us, the church. Well, I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter and we'll go. This is Paul's prayer. Verse 12 is really easy to overlook, but he says, in whom, not through whom, in whom. This doesn't come from a dogma, a truth. This comes from a personal relationship and being in Christ Jesus. Very important for us to understand that. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So, I asked you, don't lose heart. Don't, don't walk away from your faith because I'm suffering and in tribulation for you, which is your glory. You would know these things if I weren't in prison. Don't lose heart. God's at work. All right, verse 14. Then I'm going to close. I'm going to read it straight through. For this unity, for this reason, the unity of the church, its propensity to faint instead of faith. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is his prayer. That according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell. That, by the way, let me just interject here. That dwell isn't a one-time dwelling. It is a present dwelling, which means it's an ongoing indwelling of Christ himself. Being rooted so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend. That's with your mind. 
be able to comprehend that the saints know what the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know that's experience. That you may know and that you may experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Wait a minute. That you may know the unknowable. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. To know the unknowable, to search the unsearchable, to, to, to the unfillable being filled. <laughs> and then he brings us into himself. Then he uses us to bring others into himself. No outcasts. This is impossible. It's not possible. But it is possible. And he concludes with verse 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do abundantly. No, no, no. That's not what it says, is it? Now to him who is able to do more abundantly. No, still not right. See, abundant means more than you need. More abundant is more. But what Paul says is now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According, listen to this, according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and to him be the glory in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word today and I pray that as we go, I pray that you would remind us of who we are. That was the point of this book, is to remember our identity in Christ, to remember who we are, and not only to remember who we are, but to remember who we as the body of Christ is to the world around us. So I pray that you would remind us, Lord, and that we wouldn't turn our faith inwardly, but that we would turn our faith outwardly. We would look for opportunities to notice what you're doing all around us. And that we would move with intentionality at giving you away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand with me, please. This morning, I want us just to I want us just to close in prayer. But I want us to make a firm commitment before we do. I'm going to ask you to pray where you are. If you want to come forward, you're welcome to. I would love to pray with you. If there's something that you're going through or you'd like to have you know, personal prayer over, I would, I would love to, to be able to pray with you. But what I want to ask you to do before you leave is just say, Lord, I want what I've heard today. I want to know who I am. I want to know whose I am. I want to recognize that you have not pushed me away. I'm not an outcast. I'm not just in by the skin of my teeth. You have called me to be bold, and you've called me to give everything that you've given me away into relationships around me. Would you be willing to say, listen, if you are willing to say that, that might mean for, for introverts that you might just have to push a little harder to, be, to pay more attention. And for extroverts, it might mean that you need to make sure that you're not just presenting your good foot, but that you're presenting Jesus Christ clearly. So let me encourage you today, just, just cry out to the Lord as we, as we go and ask Him to reveal these truths to your spirit so that you can walk in obedience. That's all, that's all we want. What God has done, He's done for you, and now He wants to do through you. Don't miss that. Don't miss it.
Secondly, don't miss who we are together. The gift that God has given this body together. If this is your first Sunday or if you were here when we founded, it doesn't matter. We're all equals here. And God has put us together for such a time as this to do an incredible work for his kingdom. So let's get to know one another and love each other and practice our faith together. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.